All right. Uh, first episode of From the Shotgun. Um, I'm TJ Sarbacker alongside you tonight. I'm joined by uh, my co-hosts, Sean O'Leary and Courtney Plummer. Guys, how you doing tonight? Doing all right, TJ. How are you doing? I, you know, I'm doing just fine. Courtney, how about yourself? I'm doing good. How you doing, Sean? Hanging in there. Long day of football yesterday. It was an extremely long day of football yesterday, and there was a lot, uh, a lot that happened yesterday. A lot to talk about today. Again, on our first episode of From the Shotgun, it just basically going to be a podcast, guys, of you know, just talking football, basically, huh? Yeah. Yep. That's what, what I love to do, so I'm glad to be here. Yeah, no, I, I am glad that uh, that we have an opportunity to do this as well. Um, you know, football, it's it's been a weird season so far, to say the least. So I guess, you know, we probably, you know, could have picked a better season to, you know, start doing this as opposed to, you know, COVID-affected season. And, you know, we'll get to that more uh, later in our podcast. But, you know, first big thing that happened yesterday, I mean, my goodness, it looked like, um, the potentially soon-to-be MVP Dallas Cowboys quarterback Dak Prescott. I mean, man, nasty, nasty injury uh, yesterday, Sean. I, you know, you, you really have no words when something like that happens. No, I mean, even without talking about his contract situation, you look at everything that happened with Dak earlier this year with the things that he's talked about that he went through. It, it really sucks, and you just you got to hope that he gets through his surgery and his recovery and rehab the best he can. What about your thoughts on it, Courtney? Well, I just hope that, first off, his, his recovery process goes well. Um, hopefully, you know, it just all depends. Um, maybe he will come back next season, but I'm 100% sure it's not going to be this season because – that was something right there. But um, hopefully Cowboys are able to, like, pick up from this and just continue on with their season and move forward. Yeah, and, I mean, you know, he was he was really the backbone of that team, you know, for, you know, the first five games of the season. Um, you know, he had led, led them to that comeback against the Falcons. Um, you know, and he was, I mean, again, like, like I said, he, he was a potential candidate for MVP you know, up to, up to this point, in my opinion. Um, and uh, yeah, you know, you just, you just hate, hate to see something like that happen. He was fortunate enough that, you know, Cowboys were able to continue on and win that game. You know, um, I will say I am a Cincinnati Bengals fan. So it was good to see, you know, my boy, the red rifle, Andy Dalton come in, make a big time clutch throw there at the end to set them up for a, for another uh, Greg Zerline game winning field goal. But, um, you know, yeah. And just, just sucks to see that. And hopefully, you know, with, you know, how kind of down that NFC East is too, you know, you potentially think Cowboys still got a shot to win that thing. Don't you think, uh, Sean? Yeah. Um, that Andy Dalton signing is turning out to be huge. I mean, when you lose a guy with Dak who was on pace to shatter the single season passing yards record, and then you have a guy like Dalton come in, someone who's veteran, someone who's done it, he's – Playing the playoffs, you know, in that division, we've seen it is awful. There's no other way to put it. They have you have two teams who, by all accounts, are going to pick in the top ten. One seemingly just 
both of them actually is just drafted quarterbacks, and it looks like they're going to have to replace both of them. So Dallas still has a shot in the NFC East for sure. Yeah, absolutely agreed. Um, and that you know that kind of leads us into our next kind of topic that we're going to talk about this evening, and um, it's coming from another quarterback. You know, also had um, you know obviously not downplaying the Dak Prescott injury, but an injury that seemed much much worse. You know, potentially you know life threatening injury. And Alex Smith just made just absolutely miraculous comeback to the NFL yesterday against the Rams. Granted, the Rams ended up beating the, you know, Washington football team uh, yesterday. But, I mean, man, what, what a scene that was to have his, you know, his family in attendance, um, you know, everybody around the world rooting for him. Uh, you know, that's, that's just unbelievable to me, Courtney. Yeah, especially with completing nine for 17 passes after coming back from something like that. Like, that's crazy. But um, his recovery, that's a, that's a really good story because he injured his, his spiral and compound fracture. He had a, well, he had a spiral and compound fracture to his right and tibia and his fibula. That's like, that's something. I don't even want to imagine going through that, anything like that, and having to go through 17 surgeries like that. Um, I know he's really proud of himself after all that because having to keep that mentality that after all that um, and just being able to go, go back out there and just do what, what you're here to do is that's something. Oh, absolutely. And like, cause he, you know, wasn't, he was, you know, the face of the San Francisco 49ers there for so many years, then comes over to Washington, you know, is kind of the backup for a while. And then, you know, kind of the, the stars align in such a way that he does get an opportunity to, um, you know, step back onto the big stage again. I'm, I'm sure, Sean, you more than anybody being a 49ers fan, I'm sure that you just loved seeing him out there yesterday. Yeah. Um, Alex Smith was such a big part of my 49ers fandom when I was growing up. And when that injury happened, it was it, it was terrible. And going through the recovery and then seeing that, especially seeing that ESPN feature on him and showing all the leg injuries. And I don't, I don't know how you come back from something like that and watching the game, there's, you know, you're happy for him and it's a good story and you want to see him succeed. But at the same time, you're also cringing at every snap he takes because in the first three snaps, Aaron Donald gets on his back and takes him down and you're waiting, for, you're just hoping something horrible doesn't happen again. That That's part of it as well. But it, it's really, it's, it's something that I got quite emotional at, to be honest with you. Yeah, definitely, definitely up there. And, you know, top, you know, kind of worse injuries, especially, you know, visual injuries that you'll, you'll ever see in the NFL. And yeah, it's actually interesting. You bring, do bring up Aaron Donald. Um, because I know there was a tweet, I don't know if either of you saw it, but there's a tweet that was kind of floating out a video of Aaron Donald yesterday. And like a couple people thought that he might've, um, they're kind of reading his lips. He was saying along something along the lines of like, that dude has a strong expletive leg or something like that. I don't know if either of you saw that, but there were a lot of people that kind of thought one of two things thought either a he he's saying he has a strong leg because he wants to, you know, try and go back out and hurt him. Or he just kind of meant like in B in the sense that um, like, it's just crazy to him that he, uh, 
that he had managed his comeback the way he did. I don't know if you saw that at all, Sean, but um, I mean, what do you think he might have meant by that? I don't think he meant anything malicious by it. I think he, you know, especially I'm sure much like everyone else, he saw what happened. He saw the the special. I don't think it was anything, there was any malice intent in what he was saying. Because mm-hmm. you don't think of Aaron Donald as a bad guy. I feel like he's, you know, now obviously if you were to hear that maybe from like a Vontez Perfect or something like that, it could possibly be a different story. But, you know, that's that's here nor there. Again, being a Bengals fan on my end. But All right, so kind of moving away from some of those more gruesome topics that we had uh, this evening, moving into something that actually happened today, and that was the uh, major changes made in Atlanta, the firing of head coach Dan Quinn and general manager Thomas Dimitrov. I don't know about you guys, but I feel like those two moves are long overdue. Yeah. Um, it kind of seems like everything was going downhill after the Super Bowl, obviously. You lose Kyle Shanahan to the 49ers, who's arguably one of the best offensive play callers in the league. And you look at Dan Quinn. He came from the Seahawks in that Legion of Boom defense. And it was uh, the Falcons got a defensive mastermind. And they had their defense is terrible. They have one of the worst defenses in the league. And for a guy who is supposed to be a defensive wizard, he's never had a good defense in Atlanta. And granted, they do have some injuries, but that doesn't change the fact that they haven't been able to get a pass rush at all. You have Grady Jarrett. He's one of the most underrated players in the league, but you still need some outside pass rush. And Vic Beasley wasn't cutting it. Karis McKinley, not cutting it. So, yeah, after this own five start, they didn't really have much of a choice. Yeah, and I entirely agree because, you know, and that that is a really weird thing. Quinn was such a good head coach uh, or defensive-minded head coach. Um, but then, yeah, just couldn't really muster anything up on defense. Um But the offense still, you know, continues to produce. And um, I think a lot of their fans are um, going for or wanting the hiring of Chiefs offensive coordinator Eric Bieniemy. And I don't know about you, Courtney. I I don't know. I feel like that would be a pretty good fit, him in in Atlanta. Yeah, I think him being in Atlanta will definitely give um, Atlanta, like I said, a fresh start, something new, something to – something especially for the fans to look forward to because, you know, like I said, especially after that Super Bowl loss, which was ridiculous, um, it'll be something that, like I said, just freshen it up because I know a lot of diehard, like Atlanta, Atlanta Falcons fans, and I heard, like, they're really ready to just see, just ready for their program, their team to just move forward, especially from that Super Bowl loss. So. I don't think this is a bad move at all. Um, you know, it's just his course, his time was running up with the Atlanta Falcons. So I feel like he shouldn't be taking it, well, taking it too hard. He has, you know, at least brought the Atlanta Falcons to the, excuse me, to the Super Bowl. So I don't think he should just walk away with his head held down, but. Yeah, I, I definitely think potentially still a shot of him maybe staying in the league somewhere, maybe. Um, 
But, you know, as of right now, interim head coach Raheem, uh, Raheem Morris will kind of take over the reins for the time being. But, yeah, I think, you know, because, you know, when the Bengals had their um, head coaching position open after they fired Marvin Lewis, the enemy was one of the first dudes that I wanted. You know, I, I, I like Zach Taylor and everything, but, you know, I would have taken the enemy all day. He was definitely my, my top option, I would say, out of uh, uh, the, the options that the Bengals had available at the time. Yeah, you look at Atlanta. Um, obviously, Bienemy is probably going to be the top candidate for pretty much everywhere. Raheem Morris, the rest of the season, um, his time in Tampa Bay as the permanent head coach, and I'll go to. I only spent three seasons there: thirteen and three record, four and twelve record, ten and six. So you kind of just have to look at the season as a wash for Atlanta, really. And the way it's going, you might have a shot at a guy like a Trevor Lawrence or Justin Fields in the draft, get Eric Bieniemy start fresh over. And as for Dan Quinn, I'm sure that he'll find somewhere in the league, maybe as a defensive coordinator again, possibly depending on how things go with 49ers defense, if he wants to reunite with Kyle Shanahan or head coaching job in college, something he'll find something for sure. Actually, you know, kind of keeping on that train of thought, now that you, now that you mention it, I don't, what do you think would be like, the ideal path out of the season for the Falcons. And like I, I heard you mention, Sean, potentially getting a Trevor Lawrence and Justin Fields. I don't know. If you're the Falcons, would you want to go quarterback and replace Matt Ryan? Matt Ryan's 35 now. Um, not everyone's Tom Brady or Drew Brees. And it's not, it's, not like, it's not like Ryan is playing any worse. I mean, he, would, he still looks good. That offense is still rolling. Maybe you draft someone – kind of go the route that the Packers are seeming to go with Jordan Love and just have him sit and warm behind Matt Ryan and go from there. What would you say, Courtney? Like, if you were to map an ideal path out of the season for the Falcons, I mean, how do you think they should ideally finish their last 11 games of the season? And potentially, what do you think they should go for in the draft? You have an older quarterback. So I think a quarterback would be someone you should look for in the draft not saying that that rookie would be the one to like just you know make the make the Falcons like this better team but just having someone new someone refreshing would also help because you know that that newer player I mean excuse me that younger player may may you know kind of give like a different perspective and a different um, path for the Falcons but as far as their season um, I think they still, even though they started kind of rough, well, rough, I think that their season still turned into this, like, to me, like this positive on the path type season. But as long as they all work together, this new coach can be something that'll just kind of get the players to kind of shake off this rough start. Then I think that their season can end better. They might not be the best, but it can end way better than what it has started as. I totally agree. And I agree with the things that you guys have been saying as far as like just getting a, you know, fresh, fresh kind of start back in there, you know, kind of get Dan Quinn out, kind of erase those memories of 28 to three and whatnot, you know, all, all that you want to talk about, about that Super Bowl, and then just, you know, kind of restart from that. So now kind of moving on to some of the actual games that happened yesterday. Um, we had some good ones. We had some interesting ones, some results that I think a lot of people weren't expecting out of yesterday. Um, well, I'm going to start with probably what which was the best game of the day 
yesterday. It had to have been that Sunday night football game between the Vikings and the Seahawks. And, you know, 26 – and I think the very first thing I want to talk about is that final offensive play that the Vikings ran on their second-to-last drive, I should say, was that fourth-and-inches play where uh, Mike Zimmer sends his troops back out there after the two-minute warning and decides to go for it on fourth and inches from about, you know, I think inside the Seattle 10-yard line. I was curious to see what some of your guys' perspectives were on that play because they were up five, two minutes left, had time to talk about it in the huddle and whatnot. They come out, go for it, don't get it, give the ball back to Russell Wilson. He marches the troops down the field and converts to give his team the lead and the win. Sean, I – I don't know. What do you think about that call last night? I think it's the right call. Um, you convert that fourth down, the game's effectively over. And the Seattle only had one timeout left. Um, the, the game's over, and they they were moving the ball with ease on the ground before that. And it, I, it was the right call, but the wrong play call. I'm a big proponent of fourth and inches, stuff like that. You run a quarterback sneak. Because that play, more often than not, is going to work. And you call an outside run, and the defense knows what's coming. And, yes, you've been running all over them that entire drive. But you, it was just it was the, the right decision and the wrong play call, in my opinion. And I entirely agree with that, too. Because, you know, quarterback sneak, you know, closest distance to the line of the game takes the fastest to develop as opposed to, like you said, an outside run, which, you know, a, I think it's a little too obvious, but then B, you know, gives the defense time to react to that. And if I remember correctly, I don't even think they had a fullback either. I think they went single back, run it up, you know, right guard or whatever. And, you know, Madison just got stuck. What do you think about it, Courtney? Because I know that, like, because personally, like, I didn't agree with that call, but I also didn't agree with the call that they had on third down where it was about third and four, and they did a little, like, reverse pitch to Adam Thielen. Yeah, picked up, like, three or four yards or something, got him to, like, fourth and inches. I don't know. I didn't really agree with that call either. So I feel like that play was very risky, being that you have – you're going to another wide receiver on that, and then you're you're taking a risk being at the third, being on your third down. Um, I don't know. I feel like – it could have been something way different, something better, but maybe that was the risk they were willing to take. But at the end, it did, it did follow through. So I don't, I don't agree with that play either, just because that was such a huge risk for them. Yeah, and then you know, because like you kick the field goal, you're up eight, but if you go for it and don't get it, you give the ball back to Seattle anyways, and. I, uh, another player that could very well be the MVP come the end of the season and Russell Wilson, you know, Sean, either way, if they were either to get stopped or if they were to kick the field goal, they were still going to need to need to stop either way. <laughs> yeah. So you, you don't convert the fourth down and then that means that Wilson has to march 95 yards down the field as opposed to say 75 in the rain, no in the rain. Too. And you give the ball, it's either, 95 or 75 yards to go for us. So it's still the right decision. And as a 49ers fan, I, I was watching the game and there was never one ounce of doubt that he was going to go score. Even after he, he had a couple errant throws because of the rain, 
and the fourth down plays. As soon as DK caught that long pass on fourth and ten, I I knew. I've seen that. I've seen that movie too many times. I knew he was scoring. And I think it was Al Michaels said, unbelievable when Metcalf caught the touchdown. I was I was I turned to my mom and I said that was completely believable. I knew that was happening as soon as he got the ball back. And, and, you know, he's just that dude, too. It's like, you know that, you know, because I thought the same thing, because I was texting back and forth with my dad, who's a, who's a big-time Vikings fan, and, you know, me and him shared very similar thoughts. You know, we're like, you know, got to fourth and ten, and then – because I was thinking that. I was like, fourth and ten, I was like, all right, yeah, he's made a couple errand throws. You know, they just need one stop. They can't get ten yards, you know, and they pick it up. And, like, you know, well into Minnesota territory, too. Yeah, that was one of the first things that went through my mind. So I was like, yeah, he, you know, he's going down and winning. There's no doubt about it. Yeah, like I said, I've seen that movie too many times to know that any there was no other outcome other than Seattle going down and winning that game. Yeah, moving on to probably the second, you know, weirdest result yesterday. Probably the I would almost say the second best game yesterday too. Um, what happened in Arrowhead? Chiefs welcome in the Raiders. You know, Raiders had just fallen to the Bills. You know, they they got a pretty good team there, I would say. But I don't think anybody had the Las Vegas Raiders and John Gruden coming into Arrowhead Stadium and putting up 40 points, no less, and winning that football game. Yeah, that was probably the biggest – one of the biggest shock, shocker outcomes of the day. Derek Carr decided to throw, start throwing the ball down the field all of a sudden. They got Henry Ruggs, who's my guy, and they, if they want to get him involved, they need to do that. <sighs> Yeah, I, I really don't know what to say about it because Mahomes, it was a weird game. He had some throws. I think he had a touchdown to Terry Kill that didn't count. That was just an incredible throw. I think it was just one of those days, you know. Chiefs probably weren't going to go 16-0. and they Or 16-0, they had to fall at some point. Why not to the Raiders, I guess. Yeah, and I, and I entirely agree with what you said too, Sean, because I was actually texting a buddy who's a Raiders fan. And, like, when I, like, texted him, I was like, oh, how about them Raiders today? That was the first thing he came back to me with. He's like, dude, Derek Carr's finally slinging that thing down the field. You know, Henry Ruggs is starting to, you know, shot. Dude had a freaking 118 yards yesterday on just two receptions and a touchdown. Because I think a lot of people after they had drafted Henry Ruggs, I'd say including myself personally, thought that they should have taken Jerry Judy first. I mean, what do you guys think? I personally was Ruggs is is wide receiver one in the class. I know it's a very controversial opinion, but the things that dude does with the ball in his hands, I mean, I think that, yeah, they, they could have taken Judy, and it, it's not like it would have been a bad pick, but it was just a weird – the Ruggs thing was weird because it didn't fit Derek Carr at all. Like, he, he was he's never been a guy that throws it down the field. So it was just – when it happened, uh, it didn't really make sense to me, but if he wants to throw the ball down the field, more power to him. I totally agree. I mean, what about you, Courtney? What were your thoughts on that Raiders upset yesterday? I want to say is I'm from Las Vegas, and all these teams that are moving to Las Vegas, these new professional teams, there must be something in the air because they've been doing pretty good, like Golden Knights, like the Aces. So um, it's kind of good to see, like, the Raiders really, like, having this season. There's a way better season in the past. Like, my dad's a Raiders fan, so – at one point, he wasn't even claiming the Raiders as his team. So it's really good to just have this, like, refreshing, like, moment. Honestly, I was shocked by this, though, because, like you said, um, 
he said Carr hasn't been the type to throw these type of passes and he was you know completing all these passes um 22 for 31 passes with three touchdowns um I think that was pretty good maybe maybe he felt like this type of momentum coming to Las Vegas and, and playing this the Chiefs who haven't lost a game so maybe he felt like or maybe the coaches told him like hey like let's try something different we're playing this team that's like up here and then I think we just needed something different so yeah because you know I've always been a big rooter of Derek Carr you know ever since he came out of Fresno State and you know we know that he he has the potential to play like that like game in and game out I mean shoot I forget what it was Sean I think like four or five years ago Dude was MVP candidate, I believe, for a while. Yeah, I think it was 2016 before he snapped his leg. I personally have never, I've been, I've never been a Derek Carr fan. I, I think that they've just been kind of treading water with him, and I don't know. One game isn't going to make me buy into the fact that Derek Carr's slinging it all over the field, but it's a good step in the right direction for the for the team. And like Cordy said, maybe the move to Las Vegas is just. They're saying, screw it, let's just go air the ball out. I don't I don't really know. Yeah, I mean, I guess, you know, we'll see how the you know rest of the season goes for the Raiders. They got Tom Brady's Bucks coming into town next Sunday night. So I'm sure that'll that'll be a good one down in Vegas, Bucks and Bucks and Raiders. Um moving on just across the bay to uh I know this one that you, you're not gonna want to talk too much about, Sean, but man, what happened to the 49ers yesterday? Because you know, I know, and you know. The, you know, had all those injuries, had dudes come back yesterday, uh, yesterday against the Dolphins. And, you know, Ryan Fitzmagic comes in and puts down 43 points on you guys. I mean, what happened? I, I'm not going to sit here and point the injuries. Yes, I mean, you, without Bosa, you have no pass rush. But there's still – this game was on coaching. Robert Sala, the defensive coordinator, was not prepared. They started a practice squad corner who they just signed off the practice squad that morning and they were leaving him alone on an island. And Fitzpatrick, he, he was due. He's going to have one of these games every year. But you have to know, no matter who the quarterback is, he's still an NFL quarterback. And he's going to, he's going to tear up a practice squad corner when you're leaving him on an island against guys like Devontae Parker, who's a legit stud. And Shanahan clearly wasn't prepared either. Um, Garoppolo practiced earlier in the week, but he was limited the entire time. And you take him out because your offensive line can't communicate and he's getting hit all over the place. So you take him out to protect him against another injury because he, he, can't, he clearly can't plant and throw. So why, why was he playing in the first place? It was a bad day all around for the coaching staff and some decisions they made. It was tough to watch. Um, And now they have this gauntlet schedule coming up that includes the Packers, the Rams, the Saints. And if Garoppolo isn't right or healthy, it's going to be a long, long season. So, so what I'm kind of understanding then that I know this is something that I know a lot of Niners fans talk about. This isn't a Garoppolo problem. This is more a coaching staff problem. Or is it a little bit of both? I don't think that Shanahan is the issue here. He had a bad day yesterday, and I, I think that was kind of the consensus. It was just – I don't – he clearly doesn't trust Garoppolo to let him go out there and throw it all over the field. And 
I have been a Garoppolo defender and a supporter, but at some point he has to progress, and he hasn't since. He, he hasn't looked like the same guy that he did in those first five games in 2017. He was good last year, took him to the Super Bowl, clearly. But he has to get better. San Ann has to trust him. And that's really all there is to it, to be honest. I think they're, they'll be fine. He'll get healthy. They'll get back on track. But yesterday was just not a good day in Santa Clara all around. I'm going to kind of throw it to you, Courtney. I don't know. If you're Kyle Shanahan, what is your move moving forward? Like, you know, do you, uh, you know, kind of stick to the same game plan? I mean, do you – you know, make major adjustments, like a quarterback change? I mean, what do you do? Based off, like, their stats, I just – I don't think they should make any major adjustments. I just think it was just a rough game for everyone. Because based off stats-wise, like, defensive stats, like, it doesn't seem like there was anybody that was, like, like fully, like, turned on or much. It just seems like a whole team thing. So I don't think they should do too much changing. I just think it was a bad night. I just think everybody should, like, just come together, get their focus back, and then just try again the next game. Um, And then if that game doesn't work, then there should definitely be some changes. Like Sean said, they have another – like, the next people that they play, next team that they play, they're not going to be easy. So as long as they get back focused and just – and trust each other, I think they'll be good. I don't think there should be any major changes, though. So – I'm going to ask Sean again. So, like, you know, rest of the season-wise, are are we hitting the panic button? Like, are we um, – like, do you think we still have a shot at the playoffs before the Niners? Or do you think it's it's time to maybe start looking to next season, especially looking at these next couple of games? I, I don't think I'm going to hit the panic button just yet. I might have it close by. Playoff-wise, the, the way they're playing right now, this is not a playoff team. I mean – you look at yesterday and the way the defense was playing. Yeah, there are injuries, and you're basically missing you're you're missing your top two corners, which hopefully they come back healthy soon. But you just gotta you gotta get healthy. You gotta let Kyle do his thing. You got Garoppolo's got to get back on track. I'm not panicking on Kyle Shanahan and John Lynch as the leaders of this football team. But as far as the next few games go, yeah, I, I am a little worried. If I'm going to be honest. Yeah, because I mean, you you just I mean, you just look at the next five right there alone. You go Rams, then back to back on the road against the Patriots and the Seahawks, back home against the Packers, and then back on the road again against the Saints and the Rams, and then the Bills. Like those are like, I mean, look at that one, two, three, four, five, six, seven straight games against quality teams. I mean, it if it if it's going to have to come, like, or if it if it does happen, this turnaround in the season for the Niners, they're really going to have to prove it. Yeah, you had to you had to get through those last couple of games with Garoppolo cleanly. You got you, you had to, especially knowing what was coming up, and they just they didn't. So, yeah, like you said, they're gonna have to they're gonna have to really turn it on in these next few weeks because those are possibly all playoff teams right there. So it's just it's gonna be kind of hold your breath every game, see what happens. You got. Garoppolo has to get back on track. He has to get healthy and lead this team. Because if he doesn't, then Kyle Shanahan might be looking to make a change in the offseason. Yeah, and I entirely agree. I think, like, personally me, I think if if they don't win next week, that's three straight home losses right there, like, in a row. 
four in a row to start the season and then you know you hit the road but yet to lose those three games I think they just next week I think it's got to be a must-win game if I'm Kyle Shanahan I I have to win next week before going on the road or you know or else we're in big trouble now kind of moving on to something that we won't talk too much about but the wide receiver duo in the Eagles Steelers game of Travis Fulgham and Chase Claypool. I mean, my goodness, combining for 17 receptions over 250 yards apiece. They both average pretty much the exact same amount of yards per catch and four total receiving touchdowns. Claypool had a rushing touchdown as well. Sean, I mean, where did that come from? Uh, I don't have an answer for you with Travis Fulgham, to be honest with you. Small school guy in college. It's his second year, first with the Eagles. I really – I don't have an answer for you for Fulgham. I don't know what happened there. But as for Claypool, I mean, Claypool was a legit stud in college. At Notre Dame, he was the number one target there for a few years. And he's this big athletic dude, 6'4", 230, ran like a fourth. 4-4, I think, at the Combine. And it's not surprising at all because the Steelers have this weird magic trick that they do with late-round receivers. We get Antonio Brown, James Washington, Juju Smith-Schuster, Emmanuel Sanders. They do this year in and year out. And Quaypool is just the next guy up, I guess. And he's a legit stud. Honestly, I, I feel like I have an answer for you for Fulgham. I think it, it has to be just that devastation at the Eagles wide receiver core. I mean, my goodness, because, you know, Deshaun Jackson out, a couple of their other guys out. I mean, shoot, the next leading wide receiver yesterday for them was J.J. Arcega-Whiteside. But, I mean, that that wide receiver core has just been absolutely hammered with injury. Yeah, they were last year, too. Mm-hmm. Um, and don't don't sleep on my guy Greg Ward, though, former Houston quarterback in college. Dude's a great athlete. Um, yeah, I, yeah, I mean, that makes total sense. You at some point, the ball's got to find someone. If it's not going to be Zach Ertz, guess it might as well be Travis Fulgham. Yeah, just somebody had to emerge out of the pack, and you know, in some some way, somehow, it was was my dude Travis Fulgham. Ten receptions, 152 yards, and a touchdown yesterday. But moving on to some of the you know games that have been affected by COVID, more or less, uh, this week and next week. Um, Broncos Patriots supposed to be um, this afternoon before the Monday night football game between the Chargers and the Saints. Um, That one got moved to next Sunday morning. And that one just caused, you know, a big old chain of, you know, games getting moved around. Like, as far as, like, I think a month plus in advance, if I'm not mistaken, it's hard to keep track of all of it right now. Um, But I think one of the the biggest moves that uh, is going to have an effect in uh, the next week or so is that Bills-Titans game getting moved from Sunday to Tuesday. And that wasn't really the big move because that will be a good game. But that game forced the Chiefs-Bills game to get moved from Thursday night, which doesn't always deliver the best of games sometimes, to next Monday afternoon at 2 p.m. Pacific time start before next week's Monday night game between the Cardinals and the Cowboys. So as far as that, being that these games are now being postponed and stuff, I think that really will be an effect for the fans because the game on Monday on Monday afternoon – 2 p.m. Pacific time, that's difficult for a lot of fans, I'm quite sure. So I feel like that that's a big effect with COVID, like being able to have these these views for these games that are happening on these times that aren't really normal game times. I think, yeah, yeah, it's it's on the players. I mean, we saw 
couple things with the Titans come out about how they probably weren't following protocol. But you also gotta you also gotta put on the NFL a little bit. Um, you knew this was bound to happen. We saw it in baseball, and you weren't gonna make a bubble like the NBA did. And so you had to leave some room. And we saw in college football, they left two open weeks so things could move around a little easier. And why the NFL didn't do that is beyond me. Maybe they didn't want to switch the Super Bowl. They didn't want it to affect the playoffs and the Super Bowl not being played on the first Sunday of February. However, that doesn't matter. And you should have, at the very least, left made a week 18 so that these games could be made up. And I thought the exact same thing with the MLB as well, because the MLB went straight from regular season and then like a day or two off straight into the playoffs. And I personally thought, you know, I told this to a couple of my friends. I thought that the, you know, baseball should have left like a full week to try and make up some of those games. Like instead of playing double headers pretty much like every other day, it seemed like for some teams, you know, when the, uh, the Marlins had their big outbreak and they didn't play for a week, Cardinals had a big outbreak. They didn't play for like a week. You know, I, I thought that's what the MLB should have done, but the, you know, back to the NFL, absolutely very similar thing where, you know, you have that week 18, you've got a buffer and, you know, you could slide some of those games that get affected by COVID into there. Yeah. They should have been more prepared. Yeah. So from what I read, as far as them not, not having a bubble, it seems like they were more so worried about just for me, just from reading it, like the money, the money wise, cause it's, cause each team, you know, there's many players, many coaches, many staff. So I feel like that was like they're pretty much the only excuse, but I mean, NFL makes a lot of money. Maybe not this season because of COVID and not having fans, but I feel like spending that money to to house these players, to house these coaches, to house these other support staff would be very like beneficial in the long run because now you don't have to push back these games. Now you don't have to deal with trying to figure out how to make a new schedule and to, you know, um, kind of fit all this into this time limit. But, hey, this is really on the NFL mostly, as I feel that way too. It is on the players, but I feel like it really is on the NFL. And so I was, you know, I was kind of wondering as you're kind of uh, um, saying that, Courtney, I was going to actually ask Sean that as well. What I mean, what do you think, Sean? Do you think like a bubble – would have proved more beneficial to the NFL because there's NFL teams that are doing both. Some are having some fans, some are having no fans. There's like no consistency. Do you think a bubble would have, would have worked well with the NFL? I don't know if they could have done a bubble, to be honest with you, like with what Courtney said, there's 53 active players and then all the coaches, the assistant coaches, it would have been a lot tougher than the NBA, but yeah, there definitely should be some consistency with as far as fans go. Because we saw the first Thursday night of the game, there was a COVID outbreak in the stands. You got to figure out better ways to sit people and make sure that they, if you do have fans, that they are social distancing, they are wearing their masks. You have to do those kind of things. And as far as going back to the bubble point, you couldn't have done a bubble, but maybe you could have done some sort of regional play how baseball is doing. You know, the NFC West plays the AFC, AFC West, things like that. Just do cross 
crossed divisional play, things like that. They they were clearly not prepared. They had months and months to figure something out, and they just didn't. Yeah, and well, like, and that's the thing too, is because the AFC West does play the AFC West like what every four years or something like that. You know, just have you know maybe one big pod division, like just a west of those eight teams, a north of those eight teams. You know so on and so forth, and then kind of make those the divisions, kind of let things play out from there. I definitely think that could have worked. But Yeah, and then you could have done something of a bubble for the playoffs, like how baseball is doing. We're only playing it at certain like, – you get a neutral site, something like that. Yeah, I definitely think that absolutely could have worked. But And now kind of wrapping up our first episode of From the Shotgun, we're going to preview some of the games from next week. Uh, give you guys some of our predictions of what we think is going to happen in some of the games next week and call it a night from there. I'll kind of throw the games at you guys. I'm curious to see who you guys like in some of the games next week because there there are some good ones um, going on next week. Uh, the first one that kind of sticks out in my mind is the uh, game in Pittsburgh. The Steelers are 4-0. They get another uh, home game next week. Um, they're hosting the Cleveland Browns, who Browns moved to 4-1 and yesterday after taking down – Philip Rivers Colts and their offense continues to absolutely freaking roll. But Browns at Steelers next week at Heinz Field, Sean, who do you like there? I think this is going to be the first real test for the Browns. Pittsburgh has one of the best defenses in the league. You have TJ Watt coming off the edge. I think it's going to be the first test for the offensive line and that run game, which like you said, yesterday they, they had a little trouble getting going, but they've been one of the best run games in the league. And without Nick Chubb, it's going to be interesting to see how they fare against a good good Pittsburgh defense, excuse me. I think I'm probably going to have to roll with Pittsburgh on this one. I think they're just an all-around better team. And the Browns, as much as I do love me some Baker Mayfield, he has struggled in the fourth quarter this year. He's going to have to figure out a way to play more consistent, especially against this Pittsburgh team. Because we saw what happened against the Ravens, and you don't want another repeat of that. What about you, Courtney? Who do you like in that game, Browns or Steelers? I'm going to go with the Steelers. Um, they're, on a, they're on a winning three-game streak. So, you know, they're kind of feeling themselves a little bit. They're playing kind of more consistent. But, I mean, I feel like – I definitely feel like it's going to be a good game. But I'm going to go with the Steelers. Browns are – you know, they only have one loss of the season, but – as far as that, I say Steelers. I'm, I'm with you guys on that one. I'm going to go Pittsburgh as well, have them move to 5-0. and um, You know, and if you're the Browns, I, I think it's a great start to the season, about as well as you could hope for. I mean, you're 4-2 and two and your only two losses are on the road against Pittsburgh and Baltimore. I mean, I take that any day of the week. Um, I'm going to make a correction of something I said earlier. Um, Bucks and Raiders, that's actually not next Sunday night, but the Sunday night following that. Uh, Raiders are actually going to be on a bye this week, uh, this upcoming week six. Uh, but I do want to talk about the next game I want to have. Um, I want to have you guys talk about is uh, Green Bay Packers. They're coming off a bye. They're four and zero. They beat the Falcons on Monday night last week. They're traveling to Tampa Bay, if you will, to take on Brady's Bucks, who haven't lost a game at home yet this year. They come in at three and two. Their only two losses are to the Saints, and then at the Bears this past Thursday night. Sean, Packers or Bucks, who wins that one? I'm going Packers. Brian Gutekunst and company pissed off Aaron Rodgers by taking Jordan Love in the first round, and he's playing out of his mind at the moment. He's 
playing like the best quarterback in football, in my opinion, and against this this Bucks team who has a good defense. I the way Rogers playing right now, I don't think it's gonna matter a whole lot. And as far as Tom Brady and that offense goes, I know that he threw five touchdowns against the Chargers, but they aren't very consistent. Um, they kind of go on on hot streaks half of the time. And we saw last week with the Bears um, and that whole fourth down debacle. But, yeah, I'm going to take the Packers pretty confidently in this one. What about you, Courtney? Packers or Bucks in that one? I'm going to go with Packers. They're, well, they're also on a, a 4-0 uh, streak. And just based off their scores from their previous games, I wouldn't say they've been blowing people out. But as far as, um, like, the scores, for example, the Falcons 30 and 16, but even though it is the Falcons, so. And then in comparison to the Buccaneers, like their games have been what they have won. They kind of been kind of close. For example, like the Chargers game, 38 to 31. Um, so they, they've been winning by like a few touchdowns. So, and they also have two losses, but I'm, I'm going to go with the Packers on this one. I'm with you guys there too. I'm going Green Bay as well. I think as Sean said of, pissed off Aaron Rodgers is not an Aaron Rodgers I want to play against as if you want to play against him at all to begin with but yeah I'm, I'm going Green Bay in that one they're only favored by a point and a half I think they'll win by at least a touchdown that's who I've got now and then the last game I want to talk about uh tonight is um the strangely affected uh Chiefs and Bills matchup again this game was supposed to be this coming Thursday night and you know by far the best Thursday night matchup we've had so far this year, but got moved to next Monday. It's two o'clock our time, five o'clock um, Eastern time where the game will be played in New York, but Patrick Mahomes chiefs or Josh Allen's bills, Sean, who are you thinking in that one? It's going to be a, a very good game. And to be honest with you, I'm, I'm probably just going to roll with Patrick Mahomes coming off a loss. I think Andy Reid and him are going to, and the enemy are going to put, on some sort of offensive clinic, they're going to draw up some plays that we haven't seen yet. And the the Chiefs defense is kind of middling. And so I think it could be a shootout, but I, I'm still going to take Mahomes and the Chiefs. What are you thinking, Courtney, Chiefs or Bills? I'm thinking Chiefs. I'm a big stats person based off stats. Definitely going to go with the Chiefs. As far as like their their offense game, they're a better team. So I'm, I'm going to go with the Chiefs, definitely. Even though they lost that one game, I still think that they are a better team in this matchup. And I'm, I hate to go with you guys on all three picks there, but I, I'm probably going to have to say the exact same thing. I'm going to go Kansas City. Um, I think the Chiefs and Patrick Mahomes and Andy Reid, I think they play best with their backs against the wall. They showed us that um, a few Monday nights ago against the Ravens. I mean, everybody's like, okay, you know, Baltimore hype's all about them. Chiefs coming into town, how are they going to handle that? And, you know, Chiefs ended up winning that one uh, rather handily. Um, so, yeah, I'm going Chiefs as well. So those are our picks of the weeks. I mean, after our first episode of the From the Shotgun podcast, guys, final thoughts? Uh, just looking forward to another week of football, and hopefully everything I said today ends up being correct. I hope no more COVID cases, and I hope those who are affected with COVID get well and better. Also. Um, I hope our predictions do come true. And as far as the Dak injury, I hope he comes back most likely next season 
well and healthy. Absolutely. We had here, here from the shotgun wish Dak Prescott and his entire family the best in that situation. And uh, yeah, hopefully you don't have any other of those injuries like that for hopefully for the rest of the season. You never like to see anybody get injured like that. But yeah, we absolutely send our best wishes and thoughts to uh, Dak Prescott and the clan down there in Dallas. But from TJ Sarbacker, Sean O'Leary, Courtney Plummer, this was the first episode of From the Shotgun Podcast. We will talk to you guys next time.